Welcome all my panellists, they're all ready for us. Uh, and let me start with you, Ivo. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. I- Ivo, a very provocative piece that you've penned there. And uh, my my first reaction was, well, are you denying climate change? So let me ask <laughs> it straight to you. Are you denying climate change, Ivo? No. No. Um, it's, it's, it's a thing that's an allegation that's very often made, but it's really very inaccurate. I mean... <laughs> You know, I don't dispute any of the basic physics of climate change. I don't dispute that the climate is changing and that we're presently in a warm period, that future temperatures may rise, or that human activity has an impact on climate. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't believe is, uh, what I don't buy is that if it's, it's this massive crisis, this catastrophe, that requires urgent and, and very costly action. Um, I think that the, the dangers have often been exaggerated, uh, sometimes by scientists, but uh, most often by environmentalists, by politicians, and uh, much of the media. All right. um, for all sorts of reasons. Okay. Well, the scientist is here, Dr. Mary Jane Bupape. Um, he says that the idea that it's a it's a crisis about to just hit us is not true. And w- what do you have to say as a scientist? Why are scientists creating a havoc and giving us, uh, you know, problems where there are no problems, as I perceive? Um. So based on the observations that we have, um, we can see that climate change is indeed happening. So there are different observations that, you know, scientists look at and our observations actually show that since, you know, the year around 1800 up until now, the global mean temperature has changed by about 0.99 degrees Celsius. So when you look at the mean change, um, it looks like it's small. Uh, because when you consider the whole globe, but then when you start looking regionally, then you start realizing that these changes are different. For example, for us, the change, we are, the increases at about, you know, double the global rate. Um, and then you have the changes in the mean that also change, uh, ch- that change the extremes. So, you know, with the extremes, I'm talking about things like the heat waves uh, that we beginning to see are happening more often. Uh, and we've also observed that with the thunderstorms, for example, we're beginning to see that our thunderstorms are getting more severe, producing more hail, and as a result, they are produce they they uh, you know making a huge impact on the society. So this is this is work that that um, you know we have observed, and we also use physical models uh, that rely on you know basic equations of motion. Um, I mean, I can mention conservation of mass, conservation of energy, uh, conservation of momentum that we solve within these models. And when we force these models with greenhouse gas concentrations, they do indicate that you know climate change is indeed happening. So it's not something that you know we are just saying. It's in climate change we we are here and we're experiencing it now. So many would argue that it's not new you know at some point there was an ice age so the globe getting warmer is not a new phenomena the big question Ivor is asking well he's arguing it's not a crisis do you think it's a crisis I, I think it's something that we need to act on uh, I mean as scientists we say that we are committed to this climate change because we've already increased uh, the concentration of greenhouse gases um, so it's 
I would say we, we need to act to try and reduce the concentration of greenhouse gases. So we can't just say sit and and continue with business as usual. When we do our projections, we look at um, you know greenhouse gas concentrations. We look at a situation where we do something about it to try and reduce the greenhouse gas concentrations. And versus a situation where we say it's business as usual, we do nothing, and we see huge increases in temperature with that, and that will come with you know big changes with extreme weather and climate events. Jackie May, how concerned are you? Well, I just think it's interesting. I mean, what is a crisis? You know, people are dying because of flooding and heating. I mean, is that not a crisis, I would ask, for a start? Um, but I'm interested in how we as, as humanity will adapt to, you know, how we will adapt to these changes, but more importantly, how we can avert the crisis that is Really, I mean, in my uh, well, how I understand it is is happening, um, and I'm interested in how we persuade people to change behaviour to reduce carbon emissions. And you know, I think the IPCC. I'm not sure what other things about the IPCC's work, but the special report that was published at the end of last year, I think, paints an image where we should be um, taking this really seriously and how we take it to us and what we do to address um, the changes that need to be made. I mean, uh, you know, how do we change our behavior? And when you know, it's not only consumer behavior, but it's behavior of politicians and economic, economists and policymakers, um, I'm interested in all of those, those factors and, you know, how to address this as a global community. So you had a plastic, uh, no plastic July campaign just very recently. I was arguing that that's insignificant. Targeting plastic straws for argument's sake is not going to help us uh, in dealing with climate change. Um, yeah, well, I think, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a point about, you know, there are the alternatives might might be more more dangerous and damaging for, for the planet. But, I mean, the question about straws is who needs a straw? I mean, obviously, there's certain, there's some, in some cases, they're important. But, you know, the way that we use them, I mean, most people use them unnecessarily, would be my argument about straws. But the idea of a straw and containing plastic straws is really symbolic. It's, like drawing, it's about drawing attention to the unnecessary use of single-use plastics. It's not necessarily, um, you know, the particular item. I mean, we're looking at all, I mean, <laughs> The, now, the amount of plastic that is produced is astonishing. And the, the amount of plastic that's found on the beaches that's going into the ocean is also astonishing. Um, I know Eva doesn't, uh, is, is not saying that, um, you know, that we should be disposing of, he's arguing that we should be disposing of our plastics responsibly, but it's not happening. And why is it not happening? Our landfills are full. We don't have the capacity to manage our waste. Um, efficiently. So there's a problem somewhere. Is it not perhaps that we're producing too much plastic? My question? I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of get your argument, but surely at some point we need to raise the issue. And and how do you then suggest the ra- that the issue is raised if, if politicians don't speak about it, if there isn't this urgency to deal with it? We know that there's bureaucracy and we speak about it now. People will only act in 10 years. So how do you suggest people deal with it if there isn't this urgency to get it done now? Look, I think there's, there's a, a few points here. Um, one is we need to actually define the issue correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, J- Jackie already said that, that people are dying now because of floods, for example. Um, and then Dr. Papafi mentioned weather extremes. Uh, the thing is, we're actually not seeing weather extremes uh, right now, or well, not a lot. In terms of temperatures are increasing, that's true. 
um, which reflects in heat waves, for example. But reported natural disasters have declined by 35% since their peak in 2005. The death rate due to natural disasters uh, has declined massively from in, in the last century. You know, it's been at all-time lows since the 1990s. Uh, the bulk of the death rate now is, is accounted for by earthquakes, uh, not by not by climate-related disasters. Um, and that is true for wildfires, which are decreasing significantly. Um, sea level rise is a fairly linear, constant increase, and has been for about two centuries. So, you know, that doesn't seem to be increasing uh, or accelerating at least. Uh, there's no trend in cyclones. There's no global trend in droughts. Um, there's no global trend in floods. Uh, so, you know, people say, oh, well, we've got all these extreme weather events that are killing people, and, and this is getting worse because of climate change. But they're not. Um, you know, the, the fact, the data simply show that they are not getting worse. Um, Dr. Bupape, they're not getting worse? Yeah, so so the work that we have done at the Weather Service actually shows that when you are to look at... Um, the sort of extremes of precipitation um, over South Africa, we're actually seeing that increase. When you look at just the mean rainfall, we don't really see much of, an, or much of a change. So, I mean, looking at different stations, you see some stations show that there's a decrease in rainfall, others show an increase. So the, the change with the mean rainfall is not really that much. But when it comes to the extremes, there are actually a number of studies that confirm that when you look at the rainfall intensity, it is increasing. So, so some, yeah, like I say, based on our observations, actually, we're seeing that there is an impact of climate change. Is is part of the problem how scientists are communicating? So, so if if you want to believe one side of the story, you can go out and find the stats that back your argument either side of the story. So if you want to believe that it's not a crisis, like Avo, he's just given us a view that if we really pushed him, he could give us evidence. You are also giving us a view. If we really pushed, you can give us evidence. Is that not part of the problem that scientists themselves are not speaking in one voice when it comes to what's really happening? I think there are surveys that have been done. I don't have the actual numbers, but then in general, the is an agreement that scientists actually speak the same 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 language it's just that so the, you do have a few people that do not agree with what the scientists are saying mm-hmm. uh but the scientists we agree go ahead Abba. can i can i put in this yes yes go ahead um all of what i've just said about extreme weather mm-hmm. uh, i quoted directly from the ipcc reports uh, either the um the the, uh, the assessment report five which was published in 2014 or last year's uh, special report on, on 1.5 degree warming. Um, this is the consensus view from scientists, uh, you know, as, as stated by the IPCC, right? um, that, that wildfires are not getting worse, that, that there are no trends in cyclones, that there are no global trends in droughts. Now, obviously, there are regional variations, right? and that yes. you're going to see. You're going to see mm-hmm. some places you, you get some worse droughts, some places get, get better droughts. Look at, look at Cape Town's droughts. Um, you know, we, we all remember the drought from 2015, um, which, which lasted a few years. Um, but the other top 10 droughts in, in South Africa uh, in the last century occurred in, in 1926, 1933, 1945, 1949, 52, 70, 
I'm joined by Ivo Fechter, who is a journalist and a columnist as well at um, Daily Maverick. He penned a piece that I thought was quite provocative, uh, arguing uh, that uh, part of the noise that we hear around climate change, well, is just that noise from government quarters, from scientists and so on. But really, there isn't much of a crisis. I mean, he goes into bigger detail than that. Jackie May is also joining us, who's the editor of Twig, and uh, she manages a sustainability platform. And uh, Dr. Bape is also here, who's a scientist, and uh, she comes from the South African Weather Services. Do uh, you want to respond to that, Dr. Bape? Yes, I want to touch back on the Cape Town drought. Yes. That I, I do agree that when we look at the trends in mean rainfall, as I've mentioned, we don't really see a change. Uh, with the Cape Town drought, what we saw with the three consecutive years where there was not much rainfall, it was actually not even because there was a reduction in the number of fronts that are supposed to bring the rainfall, mm-hmm. but what we found is that there was a reduction in the number of rainfall days mm-hmm. uh, associated with those fronts. So we do have studies that look at you know areas, you know, originally because the study I'm quoting now was just looking at the Western Cape. Mm. And I also agree with him with the tropical cyclones that we also studies don't really show that there's an increase with these systems. But and um I mean in terms of the number of deaths we are also seeing that decrease because there is um an improvement in early warnings um globally. Uh, but as you mentioned when we were starting we are still a little bit behind um as a continent when it comes to the, our early warnings. For example, I mean we had the tropical cyclone die which killed over one thousand people. We had floods over KZN where we had a number of people dying. If those systems had occurred um, in the U.S., for example, chances are we would not have seen deaths, um, you know, reaching the numbers that we saw happening here. Jackie May, mm. when you hear what we're hearing now, does this kind of uh, hamper your efforts? No, not at all. Um, I think that um, we have a responsibility to to um, take what the IPC's projections are seriously and try and limit the increase of temperatures as much as we can. And I believe quite strongly that how we treat um, our environment, you know, in in ways that we live on it is really important for our values towards each other and towards our fellow um, organisms and 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 animals. And you know, the science can be inter. I mean, I don't, you can't interpret science, but you know, the evidence is there that. We, our human behavior is affecting the climate, and uh, yeah, I, I, it won't, it won't, it won't change my idea of what what I'm doing or what I feel that we need to do in terms of um, extractive um, behavior by humanity in general. You, you look. 
I've, you know, it is provocative in the sense that when, when I see a picture, right, of an entire seabed filled with all sorts of rubbish, I get emotionally, you know, moved, right? So, oh, so, so do I. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of trying to see what's responsible here. You're saying let's be cautious. And I'm thinking, well, if we don't really send out those images, people are probably not going to do anything or think about it. What do you suggest we do? Well, look, on, on, on pollution, it's, it's, it's simple. We need to look at the actual cause of it. Uh, the vast majority of, of ocean pollution uh, actually comes from abandoned fishing gear, fishing nets and other plastic stuff that, that uh, is used in the fishing industry. Um, uh, in total, all of our plastic, uh, of, of the, all the plastic waste in the ocean, 0.022% is caused by straws. Right? Um, and a very small fraction is caused by, by other plastics. Uh, then you've got to take into account that most of the plastics that end up in the ocean that aren't fishing gear um, actually comes from actually comes from very large rivers, uh, mostly in the Far East, uh, a few in Nigeria, uh, one in Brazil. Uh, the Amazon is very big, um, but none of them are in developing uh, are in developed countries, or for that matter, in South Africa. And and that leads me to to what I what I wanted to say. Dr. Bapapi makes a very important point about our ability to to have an early warning system and so on, our ability to to cope uh, with what the climate throws at us. You know, I mentioned the lower death rate from natural disasters. The reason for that is prosperity. Right? Rich countries are far better able to withstand what nature throws at them. Right? Droughts are, are catastrophic in, in Africa. Um, you know, uh, hurricanes and typhoons, mm. they are catastrophic on poor, on poor island nations. Mm. Right? They're not so much when they hit the state, mm. because the state is actually built for it. Mm. Um, you know, and that's really where we need to focus. We need to do things that... Um, that improve our, 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 our prosperity and help other poor countries do the same. Mm. Dr. Yeah. Bob, I don't know if we responded to the caller earlier on, but I also want to give you a chance to, to deal with what I was saying, to say, well, this is part of why you're here. You've got solutions to how we can better equip ourselves um, to manage climate change. Yes, okay. So I'll, I'll start by responding to, to the caller who asked about the role of the sun. Uh, we do take the role of the sun into consideration in our models. Um, as I mentioned, these are big computational models. They solve what we call partial differential equations. And one of the equations we, one of the equations we have uh, actually looks at how the temperature is changing. And we've got uh, what we call radiation schemes that look at the incoming radiation as well as the uh, long wave radiation that leaves um, at the surface. So it is actually the role of the sun that is responsible for the climate change that we are, we are seeing. It's the short wave radiation that comes in, it gets trapped by the greenhouse gases. Uh, before it escapes into space. All right. So you 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 are working on a system that can allow us for early warning systems for for our part of the world. Yeah. Yes. So so the South African Weather Service actually works across a range of time scales. So we've got weather forecasts that are presented every day that you see. Uh, we've got seasonal forecasts that consider, for example, El Nino or La Nina, whether or not you know it will have an impact over of in, an impact on our rainfall. And then we also have climate change projections. So for all of these, we use numerical models. We're also relying on on observations. Um, and then we also have forecasters and, you know, some scientists that are working specifically on these areas. Uh, one of the things we are working on is actually the development of our own uh, numerical models because the models that we are using at the moment were all developed, you know, in the UK, in the US. So the idea is when we develop these models ourselves, we'll be able to improve on the simulations that we get. So 
when we predict, for example, thunderstorms, some of the models we are using can miss a thunderstorm. In that case, you can have some, mm. you know, thunderstorm occurring and and you know, resulting in large hail. And you find the weather service is not able to say anything because the model was not able to capture it. Mm. How soon can we get this going? Uh, so there's some work under, you know, we, we've started in terms of the research, mm-hmm. uh, but then it's something that takes really long because these yeah. are big codes. So so we're looking at, you know, time scale of, say, 10 years to be able to address all time scales. Oh. <laughs> Dr. Mary Jane Wapapa, really appreciate the time, who's the chief scientist at the SA Weather Service. I really appreciate your time, Jackie May, as well as Ivo Ferter. It was a really productive conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Ivo. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, bye bye. Uh, thanks. That uh, that conversation will be available as a podcast, and it will be really interesting to hear your comments on this discussion. I mean, I find it really, really insightful. Uh, but coming up on the show, we are going to be having a gentleman coming into studio, and we are going to be discussing male abuse. You don't want to miss that discussion, and please do uh, chip in. Do come in. It is your conversation too. It is a safe space. It will be available to you just after the, the, the 2 o'clock news. So you are welcome to call 0891-104-207. It's now 2 o'clock.